Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Welcome to this week's episode of Concerts That Made Us. I'm your host Brian and before we get into it, find us and follow us on social media. Just search for Concerts That Made Us podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, follow us on Spotify and be sure to check out our website at www.concertsthatmadeus.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by signing up at patreon.com forward slash concerts that made us. We have a range of great benefits available so... Take a look if you like what you see. Be sure to sign up. Now, on to this week's episode. My guest is Andy Dowling, the bassist for one of Australia's biggest heavy metal bands, Lord. We have a great conversation about the band's early days, when they were known as Dungeon, right up to present day. We also chat a bit about Andy joining the band, and what it's like to join an established band, and much, much more. So, before we get talking to Andy, we're going to take a listen to one of their songs. So... Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Yeah. 
Hey, Andy, you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. Glad to get you on. So uh, you're the bassist for possibly Australia's biggest metal band, Lord. But before we get into it, do you want to tell the listeners a bit about your podcast? My podcast? Yeah, sure. Um, I've been lucky to to have my own podcast and uh, I've, I've, I love, I love being on other podcasts because it's a bit of a novelty for me these days because I do so many myself, but I've, um, I've been running a podcast called the Andy social podcast, a little bit of a play on words there, uh, <laughs> excuse the pun. And um, it's been up and running since 2015 and it's, it's not a, it's not the most original podcast out there. It's just a, it's a long form podcast and um me sort of getting out there and being curious and talking to lots of different people from all walks of life. So it was a little bit of a sneaky way to cross promote the band to begin with, but it kind of took a life of its own. And I've been speaking to not only a lot of my musician friends and people I've played with over the years, but uh, people that uh, have authored books, uh, people that have been on radio, um, documentary filmmakers, comedians, uh, people that, that have worked in the science fields, uh, just lots of lots of weird and wonderful people, and uh, it's yeah, as I said earlier, it's kind of t- taken a life of its own. So it's been it's been really, um, I think, rewarding for myself to do it. I, I'm sure you get the same with with your podcast when you get to connect with people and have a conversation. So it's uh, yeah, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, did uh, mine kind of it started off as one idea and then kind of evolved into another. Was yours similar? Like I had, uh, I I started this, and I had only planned to like maybe talk to friends or people I knew about concerts they had been to, and then it evolved into speaking to musicians and people from all over the world. Were you the same? Did you have one idea, and then it's completely different from what what you had planned? Yeah, a little bit. I when I when I started, I, I def- definitely wanted to talk to people and and do that kind of long form format um that conversational sort of uh, format of podcasting mm. but um to begin with um i think similar to you I, I think i was looking at my inner circle of friends and starting there and and um and not really sort of knowing where it would take me so i think over time i, I decided to and I, th- I think especially like a lot of people you get that social anxiety to begin with you're like oh i don't <laughs> yeah. want to talk to a stranger like what am i <laughs> going to talk to them about and then eventually you you just find yourself naturally getting curious and going, I wonder what that person thinks about this or that person's got a really interesting story. They've done something really cool that I've never done my, myself. And over the years, it's it's evolved where I've seen the podcast being the perfect excuse to be able to talk to somebody. Like you couldn't, you know, you couldn't just find somebody off the street and say, hey, can I just like chew your ear off for an hour <laughs> and just talk to you about random stuff? They'd be like, I can't, I've got to, I've got things to do, mate. And, but with the podcast, you're like, I've got this thing, I've got this show and this is the purpose of it. And I'd love to get you on and talk to you. And suddenly they're like, okay, there's, there's value in me doing it. So it became like a really clever way of me just scratching itches for myself where I'd find something fascinating and I'd use the podcast as an excuse to be able to, to talk to these amazing people, especially people that are outside of music as well. Like, um, like neuroscientists and paleontologists and things like that. And like, these people wouldn't give me the time of day. I'm just some idiot that plays in a metal band, you know, and <laughs> but, but suddenly I've got a podcast. So it seems like I've got my, my life together a little bit more. So it's, uh, it, it has evolved. And even, even now, like I've taken a slight break, a small break from it um, just to sort of, I guess, recalibrate and re-energize. But uh, I'm always thinking about what can I do differently? Um, and what could I, could I go in a different direction? Could I keep doing what I'm doing or, or 
try different types of guests again and challenge myself. So I guess that's the fun thing about doing something yourself and creating your own project or, you know, your podcast is that you're the one that creates the rules and you can break them and, and do whatever you want. And, and I think that's kind of the joy of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You touched on something there. I find this like a little worm after borrowing into your brain almost. You know, once you start one, that's all you can think about. You're constantly, <laughs> there's not a day goes by where you're not thinking about marketing or future episodes or what guests you can have on. You know, it's always just in the back of your mind, like a, a, to, a like a clock taken away. <laughs> it becomes obsessive. I, I, um, especially for me, like I'll, I'll, you know, on the weekend, I'll have a few beers and I'm sitting around and then suddenly like I might be just scrolling on my phone, looking at Instagram or something. And then I'll just see a name or a person. And then suddenly that just, it's like a chain reaction. Suddenly I've got a piece of scrap paper out and I'm writing out names or I've got a little notepad in my notebook in my iPhone and I'm just keep adding names and names to the list. And then I start deep diving into articles or wikipedia or whatever i'm trying to learn more and and before i know it like hours have passed and i've probably forgotten what i've just been doing for the last several hours because i've been drinking beer as well <laughs> yeah. but it, it is something that's naturally it becomes a natural thing that just sort of sits down in the back of your mind when you're interacting with people or watching movies and documentaries things on youtube or reading books and you're going podcast material like this is something i could talk about <laughs> the podcast or a person i could talk to in the future or or somebody that's linked to this theme or this topic that i could ask a bunch of questions about so yeah it becomes a little bit I, I use the word obsessive which makes it kind of sound like it, it could be a problem <laughs> but it's uh <laughs> I, I mean it in a, in a really really positive way it's just something to really sort of engross yourself in and and it's yeah it's it's just a lot of fun and you find yourself just being challenged and putting it and being put outside your comfort zone just naturally you just find yourself there which is which is a lot of fun yeah yeah was it um did it come as a an idea to keep you occupied between work with the band or did you start it planning to work alongside the band with it if you know what I mean yeah yeah it it actually it actually was the first thing um the it was it was something to fill fill a gap uh when when I started doing when the idea came to me to start doing it we were we were sort of really slowing down as a band um lots of things were starting to happen within our ranks where um I think Tim our our, our main guy, our singer and guitarist, I think he had his first child around that time. I'm probably going to get all the years mucked up, but I'm, I'm pretty sure some, some of these things outside of the band were starting to happen where, you know, you get pulled in different directions. And I started to think about, you know, the identity thing. And that's something I always touch on a lot with my musician friends. You know, we, we spend our, our teens and our 20s and even sort of our early 30s having particular identities that are attached to us and, and for a lot of us it's it's the guy in the band it's that musician it's the it's you know for me it was it's always been Andy from the band Lord and I I had those that little crisis where I'd think oh man like what happens when the band stops you know I'm no longer known as that guy that plays in that band or I'm the guy that used to play in that band and I never wanted to be that and I'm like what else can I do with my life you know and so you have these little these little moments and and so the podcasting became this thing which could fill in my time, but it also helped me sort of branch out and and get a little bit more, like be more than one dimensional, like just try and add some extra things to my life where people could see me as different things, not just the guy who plays in the band. And and I think that's for me personally has been a really important thing. It's helped me sort of sort of find lots of different passions and interests in life, not just in music. Um, but it has helped um 
it's helped balance out the band as well, where I think all of us don't put as much pressure into the band. And funnily enough, as soon as you take the, not take the foot off the pedal, but I think as, as soon as you relieve the pressure of, of, you know, the things that you need to do in a band and, and you're always hustling and always trying to get people to listen to your music, as soon as you sort of relax a little bit, um, it's funny that the opportunities start coming in for the band. Like, you know, it's, it's almost like that air of desperation from the band is like people can, they can no longer smell that desperation. So suddenly it's like, oh, well, I'll give them a shot now because they're not like pleading to be, to be listened to or to, to yeah. go and buy a ticket to go and see them play. So it's just the funny, funny the way that things pan out. But, um, but yeah, it was definitely to begin with um, just to try and fill in some time and, and just to branch out and try, try some different things to, I don't know, enrich my life as, as wanky as it sounds. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely understand. It's a, uh, I'm the exact same. It's opened up so many doors for me and, you know, I've been doing it. I think I released the first episode in November, December, but mm. I feel like a completely different person, you know, back before I started, I was kind of this shy guy. I had my circle of friends, but I, you know, I'd rarely speak to now I would speak to people obviously but I w- I'd rarely interact with people outside my circle of friends or you know I was almost I had my routine and I didn't stray from my routine but you know now yeah. six eight months later I'm I'm speaking to you have across the globe in Australia you know mm-hmm. and otherwise we would have probably never crossed paths you know it just it opens Pretty up cool. so many great opportunities yeah yeah and I think I think the other thing that Similar to you, like, um, you know, before starting the podcast, my my depth of conversation with even friends, let alone strangers, was, you know, having a few beers at the pub or at a show or something like that. And so you're only going to be talking with as much substance as what beer can bring out of you, you know, and then <laughs> yeah. and then the next day you forget about it. Yeah. And then I remember, remember one day, <clears throat> pardon me, sorry, I remember one day walking down the street and... And it must have been on a Sunday or something like that. And I bumped into one of my musician friends, middle of the day. And we just stood there and we said hello, but we both sort of looked at each other really awkwardly. And we realized mm. that none of us, like neither of us had a beer in our hand. And I just thought, okay, this is so weird because we're so used to like only having conversations in those those social settings where you're at a pub or at a show or something like that. Yeah. And that was something where I felt really bad. I, I felt embarrassed and I thought I need to get better at talking to people and not rely on the social lubricant of beer and alcohol and things like that. So that was another sort of motivator for me is to get better at having conversations and and it's been so reassuring when I talk to people that I would never think to talk to. And, and it's, it's all cliche, but you realize, you know, we're all human beings. We all, we all go through similar things. And, and while, you know, sometimes there might be different cultures and different backgrounds and live in different parts of the world or, you know, different native tongues, we all sort of go through similar struggles or have similar um, situations or experiences that we go through and, and you realize that, you know, strangers aren't as strange as what you think they are, or, um, you know, you're not as, you're not as alone as what you think you are, or you're not as awkward as you think you are, all those social anxieties that we all carry. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so similar, when you said that it, it really struck a chord with me because it's a similar thing to what I started to experience as I started to do more and more episodes over the years. So, so yeah, it's been, it's been a, a wild ride so far, but, um, it's, after all these years, even just to be sitting here and having a chat to you, it's just, it's super fun. And I'm, I'm glad that it's still like, even for me, I'm, I still, I still get a thrill out of connecting with people. And um, I don't think that's going to wear off. No, I don't think so. It's a, 
It's definitely one of the most fun things you can do. And there's no downside to it at all. You know, there's nothing. It doesn't bring any bad into your life. You know, as we said, it only enriches your life. So absolutely, it's something you can't give up, really. So um, before we move on, where can the listeners find your podcast? Where's the best place to find us? Yeah, like like all all podcasters, we struggle to try and find like a you know which podcast platform people should be listening to. There's there's a million out there, but um, just the usual places, of course, Apple and Spotify and all that sort of stuff. But you can go to um, andysocial.net, and that's sort of like my landing page where it's got the full list of episodes that I've been putting out over the years. So you can have a scroll through and see if there's anybody in there that that tickles your fancy, somebody somebody interesting. Um, but yeah, if, if you're listening to, I mean, obviously you listen to, to us talk now on this podcast, so you'll be listening through a podcast player, so you can search for the Andy Social Podcast and you should be able to find me there. Brilliant, brilliant. Now, as I mentioned at the start, you're the, the bassist for Lord. Lord wasn't always known as Lord, was it? It was uh, formed as Dungeon. Would you like to yeah. tell us a bit about the formation of the band and up until you joined? Because you do look a bit young now for a guy that's been in a band since 1989. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, yeah, you caught me out here. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not the OG. Um, I'm not the not the the designated or the resignate, designated, I should say, uh, old man in the band. But I'm, I'm certainly <laughs> starting to get there. Um, yeah, so the band band formed as Dungeon, as you said, in in 1989, and it formed in a town called Broken Hill, which is. Um, so if, if people might not be completely familiar with Australia, but it's about 13 hours drive west of Sydney. So it's in the middle of nowhere. And uh, for people that are familiar with the movies, Mad Max, uh, the original Mad Max movies, they were filmed out in Broken Hill or just near Broken Hill in a town called um, Silverton, I think, or Silverton, something like that. And uh, and so our front man, Tim, uh, singer and guitarist, uh, he started the band and he was born and grew up in Broken Hill. And um, the band sort of was out there for a few years and he got some of his, his local friends and it's funny where you're really in an isolated town, but they somehow still discovered 80s hard rock and heavy metal. It's just amazing <laughs> that music could get there, especially, you know, pre-internet days and all that yeah. sort of stuff. And and, um, and funnily enough, I've had Tim on my podcast to talk about some of this stuff over the years. It's been quite fascinating to hear him grow up and tr- try and discover and learn about, you know, Dokken and Queensryche and Halloween and Creator and Iron Maiden and all that sort of stuff. And in the middle of nowhere, you just wouldn't expect that they would even know that these bands exist. Um, so, yeah, he formed the band and had a few uh, local friends join. And and then I think sort of in the mid, I think it was, a, they were out there for a few years. And in the mid nineties, they, they, a couple of them relocated to Sydney and, uh, and sort of, continued and sort of established what dungeon became for for quite a number of years and and they were always seen as a as a power metal band um and um really established themselves in australia as as probably the main sort of melodic metal power metal band that was going at the time and um and did really well um you know a lot of international shows that you know um international bands that came through australia dungeon was supporting and uh, dungeon got overseas and uh, and did some touring in Europe in uh, the early two thousands as well and and like a lot of bands and um, I'm sure I'm sure it's the same in most parts of the world but um, you just have a revolving door of musicians I think when you're sort of 
you're not at the the top of the pile when it comes to the biggest bands in the world it's it's a lot tougher to to keep people in a band for various yeah. commitments so um people coming and going and i think i think it got to a point where Tim sort of uh, decided, and this is when I started to come into the piece, and this is uh, towards the end of 2005. And Tim had decided that um, he wanted to sort of create a new chapter of the band and change the name of the band, which is is quite funny because I think I always sort of give him a bit of shit about this because I, I sort of say, of all the names in the world, like, you know, could you pick a more difficult name to pick? Like, you know, for, as Lord, you know, I mean, talk about getting mixed up or, or hard to search for, you know, fine. Yeah. It's, but um, he had the the title in the band of Lord Tim, which was originally a joke. Um, he was a DJ at a local, local uh, roller rink. Um, and he would just play like Dokken and 80s rock and stuff like that at the roller rink uh, with this this title as Lord Tim. And so when he had the band, he decided, oh, well, I'll call myself Lord Tim. And it was a bit of a joke, but it just ended up sticking and people take it really seriously and go, oh, it's Lord Tim. And he, and we also <laughs> laugh and go, yeah, it, like if only you knew what the origins of this name was. But um, yeah. he, he had put out a solo album a few years earlier. And so he thought, well, I might just call the band Lord and – that way I can, I can put, I can do whatever music I want. Like I still want to be metal, but I can add in some more melodic stuff or I can add some more heavy, like heavier stuff, some more thrash metal and things like that. And I'm not stuck with the pigeonhole of what dungeon was because uh, at the time dungeon was signed to a European label that was very much a power metal label. Mm. And so we were, we were categorized as very much just power metal and, and that's all it is. And for, and which is fine, but um, it sort of it makes it hard to sort of branch out and try lots of new things. So Lord was a bit of a fresh chapter. And for me, like I, I started, I, I was a fan of the band. I, I used to go and see Dungeon play quite a bit. I was going and, to ask, um, all right, yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, I became friends with Tim and the guys in the band at the time. And uh, in, in mid 2005, the guys, um, well, so early 2005, Megadeth came out to Australia and Dungeon played, played with them in Australia and um, during that time Dave and the team actually invited Dungeon to to come to Europe I think Dungeon was planning to go to Europe anyway and play some shows and just the stars aligned and Megadeth said do you guys want to come out and play a run of shows with us so um, so Dungeon ended up supporting Megadeth in Europe for about I don't know however many shows six or seven shows and and I funnily enough the stars aligned for me because I just happened to want to go to Europe that year. I hadn't been yet um, on my own to go and do festival season and all that sort of stuff. And so I was talking to the guys and they said, do you want to come over with us? And I'm like, oh, wow. And they're like, do you know how to, do you know how to like work a light, lighting desk, do the lights or something like that? I'm like, yeah, I know how to tap some buttons, whatever. <laughs> and I can, I can be the beer roadie. And so, yeah, I went over and carried their gear and helped them out and set up, help set up their stuff and find their beers and do the lights during their show. And, and it was an amazing experience. And it was only towards the end of that tour where, um, like, like we always see in a lot of bands, just, um, personalities fraying and people, you know, not, not getting along. And, and I remember being in a taxi because we, we, we played not just in Europe, but we played in, um, in Japan as well. And I think we had a couple of other stopovers in, in other parts of the world when we were, yeah. when we were traveling. I remember being in a taxi with a couple of the guys and they just said, do you want to, do you want to join the band? And I thought this is really awkward. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, Oh, and I, I don't know. I don't know guys. Like, you know, and at the time I lived, 
I lived in another state. I lived in another city to the guys as well. Mm. So, um, so I sort of said, oh, I might have to, might mean that I have to move as well. So anyway, we got home and um, after the tour, and I went back to 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 my town and. And uh, we kept in contact. And then I think the band just sort of disintegrated not long after that. The guys just all sort of, a couple of the guys moved on and a couple of the guys all left. And so Tim just said, you know what, this might be the, the time, the time to, to make that, that step and, and start that new chapter of the band. And, yeah. and I moved, moved from Brisbane to Sydney in, uh, in what, oh, geez, late 2005 or early 2006. And, well, as cliched as it said, as it as it is, uh, the rest is history. I've, I I haven't left. I, I just I thought I was only going to be down here for a few weeks. Uh, I didn't yeah. think it was going to really last. And and uh, however many years later, I'm I'm still here, living in Sydney, and still part of this band. So um, obviously, a lot's happened, and a lot of things have happened, like changed and things over the years. But um, that's kind of like a a little bit of a long winded sort of OG story of, <laughs> of sort of the band and 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 how I got into it. Yeah, yeah. Was this much of a, a life change for you? You you had obviously played in bands before, but um, joining a big band, an established band like that, was this much of a culture shock? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, because for me, at that stage, I was, uh, how I I had my twenty first birthday in Europe with with those guys, and we're on a day off. Um, before they were going to play in Dortmund in Germany with Megadeth. And I remember like we went out and, and had a few drinks and I was ridiculously sick that night, you know, but it was, it was like my, my coming of age party in Europe. It was just so surreal. But um, for me, like I'd only played in a few local bands and not very many shows either. And, and it was all a bit of a shock because I, in the back of my head, I, it wasn't my intention to, to join this band at all. Like even when I started to see that there was some tensions with personalities in the band, I never, never even thought that I'd be in the equation. And, and uh, it was just that, I think we must've been an off day and we were somewhere in Europe and I picked up uh, Glenn, who was the bass players um, at the time, his guitar. And I, and I was just noodling around in this apartment that we were, we were staying in. And Tim looked over at me and he goes, you can play. And I go, Oh yeah, kind <laughs> of, I, I guess, you know, and he just went, oh, okay. And then that just must have planned to see in the back of his mind. And so weeks and weeks later, um, you know, it, that that question popped up. Mm. And for me, like, I just, I mean, I didn't want to say no, but at the same time, like, if I say yes, like, am I an imposter? Like, can I do this? Like, I've got no idea. <laughs> this is a big step for me. This has gone from being like, you know, basically, I mean, for the most part, a, a bedroom musician and, mm. and playing like the odd sort of very, very small amateur sort of you know, local show. Yeah. Um, and here I am talking to a band that's just done a run of shows with Megadeth in Europe. And, and it was just, yeah, it was really surreal. So for me, um, in a very short space of time, I had to I had to learn really quickly. I had to throw myself in the deep end, not only just um, physically learning how to play the songs and, and all that, but... I think just the professionalism and and having your head on is screwed on properly to to know how to function in a band like this and all the things that I would never expect to know. And I was just so lucky that I'd spent two months overseas with this band and saw how they how they ticked and their personalities and I could see where people were making mistakes or when people were doing the right thing. And I I sort of learned from even just with Megadeth, like watching Megadeth, how they interacted with each other and mm. how they prepped for shows and I sort of learned from the best. I, it was, it was, it was just 
I was so lucky. I was so lucky. And so, yes, it was, it was a big, a big step and, and very surreal for me. And, and eventually when it came time for that first show with, with Lord, um, it was, it was a bit of a, a pinch yourself moment. It was just a, yeah, very, very sort of crazy period of time be, between me sort of just, just sort of sitting around drinking beers going, this is fun to suddenly going, Oh shit. I'm playing in a band now. I've got to, I've got to pull, I've got to, I've got to step up. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. It's, it sounds like a movie almost, you know? Yeah. It's a little bit rock starish, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah. It, and it's kind of cliche, but I, I, one thing I've noticed over the years is that um, it's not the, I mean, for me, I guess I came in as a roadie, mm. um, but it was a very sort of informal, casual roadie. I wasn't like a professional roadie that does a lot of a lot of tours. But you know, when I read band biographies and and histories of bands, and when and when new members come in, you see a lot of the time that it's it's the drum tech or the guitar tech who ends up being the new guitarist, or the new drummer in the band, yeah, like yeah. someone who's been very close to the band already. And there's that element of trust. They know the person. They know the personality, and then they give that person a shot. And so over the years, I've seen a lot of these similar stories in a way. And I go, okay, that's really cool. And it makes sense. Like rather than go out and find a stranger who's technically good at their instrument, you, you kind of want someone that you get along with and, and ha- you have that chemistry with, and, and then you just cross your fingers and hope that they're actually good enough to be able to play <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah. That'd help a lot. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mentioned it was a real pinch me moment. Is uh, you must have had a feeling for the first while anyway that, oh God, this isn't real. This is going to end at any stage. How long was it before, you know, you started to relax and be like, yeah, I'm I'm actually a member of this band. I, I feel comfortable here. Yeah, it definitely took a while um, because when I, so I, well, I, I won't give you my, all of my life story, but I grew up in, in, a city called Brisbane. So it's about 10 hours drive north of Sydney. So, I mean, as, as a lot of people know, Sydney, I mean, Australia is just so spread out. We're so, it's just a massive country. And so I lived in a different state, a different city to, to the guys. And so when I packed up my bags to move to Sydney, I, I said to my family and my friends, I go, okay, look, to be honest, I'll probably be back in a few weeks. Hey, like with my tail between my legs, like just realizing <laughs> that, you know, all this excitement and this enthusiasm is going to, just be it's going to be a slap in the face when when reality kicks in and i realize how hard this is or what i think it is it's not going to be cracked up to what you know what i what i have in my head and so i went down there sort of just thinking in the back of my mind that this might not work out for for a whole range of different reasons and so for a while and, and i'm lucky in hindsight we we spent a lot of time rehearsing yeah um a lot of time and and that gave me time to sort of bed myself and you know, find a place to live and all those sort of, you know, normal things that I need to do to sort of survive. Um, and, and also, you know, get used to the guys and, and learn to play together and, and, and like iron out all the kinks and, and the mistakes and, and get everyone feeling as confident as they could. And so that, that really helped. And so it was several months before we played our first show and, I mean, that was a, that was an absolute ordeal as far as nerve wracking experience and that whole, like, you know, is this going to work out? Is, is this going to be a train wreck? You know, having the nightmares of, you know, coming on stage and not having any strings on your bass guitar oh, or, or like, or, or, you know, or, you know, the, the, the public speaking fears, you know, you walk out and you're naked or, you know, all that kind yeah, of stuff, you know, yeah. you're, you're panicking, you know, like, <laughs> anything that could possibly go wrong is going through my head at the moment. Hmm. And, um, 
but it, it did take a few shows for me to, to really sort of become comfortable and realize that I'm part of this. And I think a lot of that wasn't so much because I didn't feel accepted or part of the band. It was more of a case of having confidence in my own ability that I could do it. And, and it, it was only when we started to tour in Australia and it was a few months later after the first show that um, we're getting on stage and playing and, and it was working and I wasn't so nervous, but also people were coming up after the shows and, and really sort of sharing their feedback and, and there's a lot of positivity. And I just suddenly thought, okay, it's not just in my head. Like it's, it's sort of getting validated and I think I'm doing the right thing. And so I could see the path and, yeah. and really start to find that confidence. So it did take a while, but, and I had to push through a lot of that, you know, a lot of that negative self-talk because at least for me, like I'm always to protect myself. I'm always like talking myself down internally. I'm like, you know, you're not that good. Don't, you know, it's a sort of tall poppy syndrome sort of stuff. You know, you, you don't want to be too big, you know, of yourself. You don't want to big note yourself or be overconfident. So I'm always trying to be as modest as I can um, internally because I don't want to set myself up to fail. And that's, that can be a really good thing. It can also be a really bad thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, I used that for, for quite a few years um, to, to try and make sure that I didn't overstep the mark. And it wasn't until I started getting validation from others that the light bulb ticked. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm starting to do something here that's, that's really cool. And I'm starting to feel that confidence. So it took a little while, but um, yeah, it got there, got there in the end. Yeah, yeah. There's, um, there's two other members of the band, but you don't actually have a, a resident drummer, so to speak. Is there a, a specific reason for it? Or it's very, it's very Spinal Tap, isn't it? It's like the spontaneous <laughs> combusting drummer. Yeah. Um, look, we we we've always had every intention to have a drummer, um, and in the early days, we did. Um, we 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 had a really permanent drummer for for quite a number of years. Um, Ty, who was in the last sort of uh, era of, of Dungeon, um, carried over with us into Lord and was with us for for the first few years of Lord and and since then he's actually been a session player for a lot of a lot of releases for us as well. Um, so he's really and and actually funnily enough he's my producer for my podcast because I'm too lazy to edit my podcast, so I get him to do it for me. <laughs> but he's really right. part of our family. He's just not getting on stage anymore. But um, when he left, we had another drummer who was fantastic, Damien, who was with us for a few years. And then after Damien left, um, we just we just couldn't land a drummer. Like we couldn't, we just, we physically just couldn't hold on to somebody. We'd have people come in, every intention to stick around and then some, they'd just lose interest or you know, they'd realise the reality of it. I think some people sort of came into the band thinking that, you know, an established band we've got a legacy we've got a career we've been doing some great things playing some amazing shows and and put out you know a lot of releases that um they probably thought that it was going to be more exciting than what it is or or maybe yeah. there's more going on and then they realized there's a lot of downtime and, and it's a lot of tough work you know it's not all exciting all the time there's a lot of stuff that's a bit boring or tedious and painful you know getting things together and writing and recording and rehearsing and all that and i think people just didn't once the reality kicked in, I don't don't think a lot of a lot of these people wanted to stick around. So um, it was just a it, it just became a joke. Like we just couldn't we just couldn't keep anyone down. Like in the band, it's like oh come on guys, like please don't leave. Like you know we, we're just we're just starting to gel. Yeah. And and so when it, I think the last album that we put out, um, the last studio album, uh, Fallen Idols in 2019, as we were getting close to recording that, we had a conversation about it, and we thought 
you know what? Like the band is us, like us three. Like we've been the most consistent for for so many years. And, mm. um, you know, rather than sort of us bringing a drummer in and saying that they're our permanent drummer and then realising in six months' time that they're not going to be there anymore, um, let's just make the band the three of us and then we can get great session guys in. We can get friends to come on tour with us. It's not ideal, but at least then it's sort of a consistent thing with the branding of the band like so people know who we are rather than who's this mysterious guy or you've got an, another random face that's in the background there who is it you know yeah, yeah um so that was kind of where the mind's been in the last couple of years with the band as far as how we how we see it but you know we've always said like you know it if uh if if our knight in shining armor drummer comes along and he ticks all the boxes and he actually wants to stick or he or she wants to stick <laughs> around um we're, we're definitely open-minded to it it's just um it's just a i think especially as the band gets older um and the way that the band change and especially like in the last couple of years with with the pandemic and everything as well yeah yeah um playing shows and things like that is is not going to be an expectation anymore uh, to the to the extent as it used to be and we're not going to be able to play as much and and so whoever joins is going to realize that you know lord is not going to be a 24 24 hour, seven day a week band. It's it's going to be something that you have to sort of wedge in with the rest of your life yeah. and understand that, you know, it might be quite some time be- between shows, but just because of the way of the world and the way that the band is. So the three of us understand that and we've got a really good chemistry and we know our expectations around the band. Um, from a for somebody else coming into that, um, I guess we're, we're just a little bit realistic about how tough that could be for a new person to come in. So... Never say never, but uh, yeah, we're a three-piece with a revolving drum stool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a weird reality, really, isn't it? When, um, as you put it, when a new person joins, you know, I can I could imagine myself if you were joining this established band, you automatically think like you're walking into the rock and roll lifestyle gigs all the time you know in the studio all the time but as you mentioned it's not like that at all it's a little slightly less or slightly more boring than that and realistic as as you said you know so um, yeah. it's a side of the rock star life we don't really think about or don't get exposed to really yeah and especially these days i mean you know I, i'm still seeing a lot of friends of mine that have played in bands over the years still struggling with the transition of what a band is today versus 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, you know, bands are so so much more independent than what they used to be. You know, you used mm. to, the, the stereotypical path for a band back in the day was you get out there and play a few shows, someone would discover you, you might get to do a demo or something like that. Then, you know, you get signed to a label and you might get a, a, a an album deal. So you might do five albums. And the record label funds that and there's a bit of money to go around because people are still buying albums, you know, yeah. and, and you're taken care of, you know, to an extent. And really your, your function, your purpose was to write music, get into the studio, you know, every 12 months and hit, hit the touring circuit and play as many shows as you can. And that was your life. And that's when all that rock star stuff comes in, you know, that's, I mean, cause that's really, I mean, that's all you need to do. And that's, that's where all the, that, that that romantic sort of aspect of being in a band and and all those stories and the movies and and all these amazing artists that we all look up to and idolize that's that that's their history and and these days it's 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 very different and in some ways not not necessarily worse it's just very different and i think 
bands these days can't rely on a label. Um, there's very few labels that still exist, and the and the labels that do exist don't. It's a different it's a different business now um, to to what it used to be, and so there's a lot more reliance on bands themselves to to get out there and promote themselves and you know take care of the business side of it as well as the 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 performance aspect of it, and then that brings in a whole range of skills that a lot of musicians don't have and need to develop from you know financial skills uh, management skills uh conflict management you know <laughs> how to deal with you know people in in you know egos and personalities not just within the band within the industry yeah, um, yeah. as well as being a creative and 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 all that and that's 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 a tough thing it's a really tough thing and and the bands that are doing it really well these days um it's it's absolutely fascinating and inspiring to see people become these multi-dimensional people they're not just the musician the stereotypical musician who's just this creative who you know puts out music and then goes out and rocks the stages and then gets pissed afterwards you know it's just it's yeah. not like that anymore so <laughs> it's 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 very different and i think the other thing just on the point that you're you're saying is it's kind of like school you know when you come to a new school and you're trying to work out who to be friends with and you've got no idea, but everyone's already got their clique, you know, everyone's mm. got their little group and, and, and their in jokes and, and, and the things that they like, the things that are cool, the things that are not cool. And you don't know any of that. And you're trying to find where you sit into it or you don't want to embarrass yourself or say the wrong thing. And it's kind of like that with established bands. If you get a new person in, they've, you know, you've already, like for us, like with the three of us know how we tick and we don't always get along either. Like we're, we're yeah. very different personalities. And, and so for somebody new coming in, they've got to try and suss us all out. And we're three very different personalities. We've all got an ego to an extent. Mm. Um, we've managed to work out how to not, you know, attack each other's egos and we can all function in our, in isolation and, and, and all, as well as together. But a new person coming into that dynamic, it's, it's very intimidating and it's tough, you know? And so, um, it's, it's a very, you have to be a very sort of special person to be able to deal with, with, a with a situation like that, where you have to walk into a, a dynamic that's already been established. And, um, yeah, I, I don't envy people that, that find themselves in those situations. I think people that have got a, a really open personality and very personable and, and, um, always very flexible and don't have a big ego can usually sort of navigate those situations better than others. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a weird social experiment just being in a band. I think just, you know, I always say it's, it's as close as, um, as having like, you know, two or three other girlfriends, um, just, <laughs> but without, you know, I guess the sexual aspect of it, you know, it's, yeah. you, you share everything together and, and um you know, you fight and you, you get along, you have great laughs and, and it's, you know, it's that brotherhood, I guess, in a, in a weird way. It's just, it's such a weird dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, anybody that would even attempt to break into that sort of an established band already, I'd really envy them now. I'd really want to have, you know, a strong personality and be well able for it. I don't think I'd be able for it now. I'd be more of sort of, for starting off a band from scratch and having to uh, join an established band, you know? Yeah, it's tough. It's really tough. Yeah, yeah. So um, something that intrigued me when I was listening to your music over the last couple of weeks, your latest release was a covers album. It's brilliant. Mm. I, I actually 
there's days where I'd search for covers, metal covers or rock covers of popular songs, you know, and when I find one, I'm in heaven. I love hearing that heavier take on an already established song, especially if it's a lighter song, a lot lighter song. What led to you guys uh, releasing a covers album? Yeah, it's it's funny because we we had ideas to do this, I think, about a year ago or early, earlier last year. Um, and it was almost, I think it was in the back of our mind, even pre-pandemic. But I think the pandemic sort of became the sort of the excuse to really sort of pull our finger out and make it happen. And I think now a lot of bands are, are doing covers albums at the moment. And I think it's a really smart thing to do. It's sort of like, while you, while you can't get out and promote your your music and, and play shows tour and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's tough to release a, a brand new studio album of original stuff when you can't get out and promote it. So a covers release is, a, is such a, a smart way of just showing people that you're still out there and you're still mm. you know, doing something and you're keeping people amused and entertained and, and yeah, something to talk about while, while we wait for the, the world to, to slowly reopen again. And, um, so for us, it's sort of the timing worked out really well because it was something we wanted to do for a while, but um, it's sort of the opportunity just sort of popped up and we thought, yeah, this is, this is if, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it now. And I guess a little bit of a backstory behind it. I mean, we've, and even sort of going back to the, the dungeon era of the band, uh, covers have always been a really sort of important part of the band a fun part of the band uh you know whether it just be throwing a couple into the live set and especially when you're playing to new crowds you want to win them over and so yeah you throw in an iron maiden cover or something like that and something that they could they could relate to straight away and and something they could attach themselves to and then suddenly they're a little bit more open-minded to whatever the original stuff you're also playing and so it was always a great way just to entertain the crowd and and um and then we'd use them as bonus tracks as well you know um you know uh, especially because for us, um, we've been really lucky um, right back to, you know, the early sort of dungeon days, um, had a really great career in Japan, right. released quite a number of albums in Japan over the years, Dungeon and Lord. And uh, in Japan, it's probably not as important these days as what it used to be, but in Japan, bonus tracks are really integral over there. It's, it's critical because it's cheaper for Japanese people to buy albums overseas than it is to buy the local pressed Japanese releases. Um, and so for, this is what it used to be anyway. And so what the labels did is that to entice Japanese people to buy the local Japanese press is that they would put bonus tracks on there that aren't available anywhere else in the world. And this is all pre, you know, MP3s downloading and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so yeah. you would, the, the Japanese labels would demand it. It's like, it's a non-negotiable. You need to give us bonus material to put on, put on these albums. So yeah, so there's lots of covers and, and, over the years, Dungeon and Lord, um, same thing that happened with Lord. We would we'd have all these covers and they're on random releases all over the world in different pockets. And um, and the other thing we'd also use covers for is to test out studio equip equipment. So before we went into it to do an album or, or we would do an EP or something like that, um, we'd record a cover in the studio just to see what it sounds like, what the guitar tones sound like, you know, what are we picking? Um, what's the drum sound like? What's the room sound like? All the gear that we're playing through, whatever it might be. And we'd use it as like a, a beta test uh, to try and work out the sounds and, and iron out any of the kinks before we went in and recorded, you know, the proper release. Yeah, yeah. So so we had all these these covers like all over the place. And over the years, people go, oh, man, I'd love to hear that that cover you guys did years ago, where can I find it? And we're like, I don't know. Oh, I think it's on like a, a Japanese release. It's probably long out of press. I don't, I don't know. And so 
over the years, we sort of thought we should put these all together and put them out as a kind of like a compilation, I guess, but yeah, a covers release. And, and so that's what we decided to do. Um, and then also record a couple of new ones as well, just so there's something, just in case the hardcore fans thought this is boring because they've got everything already. Um, yeah. We put a, a couple of fresh ones in there as well. And so, yeah, so that's what became um, Undercovers Volume 1. And the Volume 1 certainly dangles a carrot in front of everybody thinking that there's going to be a Volume 2 at some stage, which never say never. I was um, just going to ask, all right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can't help ourselves. We've already got, We've got more covers that are half finished. And there's, and since the cover album came out, we recorded a Nine Maiden cover as well. So it's like we can't, we just can't help ourselves. There'll, there'll be more covers to come. But um, yeah, it's been really good. And the, the releases, there's 23 covers in total. So there's a lot of stuff. And um, and then we, that's all through our Bandcamp page. And then we did a CD version, which has got, I think, eight or nine of those songs. And we did it as like a hand-numbered limited edition CD. And then some of them are on on Spotify as well. So we try to make it as exclusive to Bandcamp as possible. So if you if you buy it from Bandcamp, you get everything. Um, but if you're on sort of Spotify or Apple Music or you get the CD, um, it's it's a smaller amount of 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 songs so um but yeah it's been really fun and and just fun to see people's reactions to to some songs especially you know odd songs that people wouldn't <laughs> expect us to cover and uh yeah it's been it's just been fun to see see the, those reactions from from lots of different people yeah on the on the topic of odd songs we opened the show with your song united but we'll be closing it with to the moon and back that's a song I never thought I'd hear a heavier version of. You know what led to uh, to you picking that one? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's definitely an oddball of a song, like a, for for a metal band to cover anyway. And I mean, I think I think one thing with with our, us in our band, and and I know like a lot of you know traditional metal fans would cringe at this, but you know we're we're massive pop fans. Like we love we just love music, and right. we've always said a good song is a good song. And, and it might, even some pop songs you hear them and you cringe and you go, oh, it's, it's just so annoying, the song, like, oh, I can't stand it. But then if you sort of dissect the song and you, or you lift the bonnet of the song, you know, that, you know, remove the, that plastic from some of these pop songs, you can hear, like, we can appreciate, like, the genius behind how these songs are written and put together. Um, so we've always loved pop, pop music and, and other other forms of music as well and so that those influences have crept into some of our original stuff over the years some um, people probably wouldn't pick it but uh, if you if you're a Duran Duran fan um, I reckon you could probably pick out some some little influences here and there over the years in in Dungeon and Lord stuff which is so so crazy to say um, but but with Savage Garden um, for me personally I I love the the self-titled album I thought it was a great album um, I thought it could have been an amazing rock album um, if it just had some slightly heavier guitars, maybe a little bit more urgency in some of the songs, but there's some real ballsy songs on that album. And, and the songwriting's fantastic and it's really catchy stuff. And so I think uh, it would have been last year. It was, it was definitely sort of during, during the pandemic and we were, we were talking, I might've been on Twitter or something like that. And we we're talking about sort of, I think I put a post up saying why the hell hasn't like, like a metal band covered to the moon and back or, you know, or a Savage Garden song or something like that. And then, right. and then somebody, somebody had written underneath and said, Oh, you guys should cover it. And then Tim just happened to be on Twitter at the same time. And he goes, Hmm. Okay. And so we went away. And so Tim started to like 
think about, you know, how would it sound? Like what would we need to do to the song you know, to try and make it our own without butchering the song completely? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so it sort of just went from there. We, we started to sort of slap some ideas together, get some rough demos down, and then slowly it started to morph into what it became. And, and a big thing with what we do um, from a covers perspective is that we don't, we don't really stray too far from the original. Um, I think for us, we've, we, we try not to, to reinvent the song. And, and I think a lot of artists do really good jobs of, of putting a completely new perspective on a song. Mm. Um, but for us, like we're, we're just such fans of the original that we, we kind of just want to play the original song. Like, and it just comes out sounding like us. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's mainly for us to scratch our own itch. So with, with this Savage Garden song, um, it more or less is like the original, um, but I would say obviously there's there's heavier guitars in there. There's a there's a, a real guitar solo in there, um, and and obviously there's a little bit more urgency and and Tim's vocals in there have got a little bit more grit to what Darren Hayes, the the original Savage Garden singer, um, had as well. So it it's just funny and it's it's amusing for us to see, you know, for us to sort of look at a pop song and. And and release it and see metalheads and you know the serious metalheads the guys in their battle jackets with their arms crossed at shows you know yeah, and suddenly yeah. it's like Lords releasing a Savage Garden cover and you can see them going oh oh what is this <laughs> you know I love it uh, that 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 just fuels us we we just want to keep doing it because people react like that so part of it's a little bit of a a little bit of a childish sort of uh, thrill to to see people react to to, to some of this stuff but yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I just thought of the perfect challenge for you guys. You have to do like a Spice Girls or Britney Spears, Christine Aguilera cover just to get those diehard heavy metal guys in leather jackets to be like tapping their foot or singing along to Britney Spears. That would be hilarious. Oh, well, one of the covers on this release, um, which is one that we recorded about all 10 10 or so years ago, uh, about 12 years ago, is um, Kylie Minogue's On a Night Like This. Right. And, and it was a similar sort of concept. Um, I think the the origin story behind was a little bit different, but more or less like Tim heard the song on the radio and, and just thought, huh, like I wonder what this would sound like with some heavier guitars. And <laughs> he brought it up to the rest of us in the band thinking that we're going to shoot him down going no way yeah and we all just went hell yeah like do it and <laughs> and so we started to put it together and it became the most ridiculous cover and so we'd end up doing a video clip for it which is still on youtube and people can check that out and it's just it's such a silly clip and it went a little bit i wouldn't say viral viral like by today's standards but at the at the time it, it, it got a little bit of a life of its own and people were asking for it at shows like people wanted us to play it live and and we're like you know at the time we we had some fairly heavy songs that were playing and a lot of sort of speed metal and thrash metal in our stuff and in our sets and um and so we're like okay we'll play the we'll play the Kylie song and so <laughs> that used to be our closer um at the end of the show and and you would see these metal heads in the crowd like you know, and by this stage, like, you know, we'd be sort of like the headliner and it'd be later in the evening and people have been, you know, well and truly lubricated up with a few beers. And so, you know, this Colin Minogue song would start and you could see people's reactions and some people knew it and they got excited. Other people, like, you can see them trying to process it and calculate and going, what is this? And then you can see the that light bulb moment where it just ticks and people go, oh, my God, you can't be, you can't be serious. Like, are you serious? Are you guys really doing this? 
And then by the end of that song, these big burly bearded metal heads with their battle jackets, they're singing, they're singing the chorus, you know, and it's just the funniest thing to see because you know that they would be caught dead. Yeah. Loving Kylie Minogue, but, but here <laughs> they are getting into it and just enjoying it and having the, and the biggest smile on their face. They're loving it. And so, yeah. And I think, I think, you know, Spice Girls or um, Britney Spears or Backstreet Boys or any of those ones, I think that that takes it to another level again. Yeah. And I think that would be, that would be the true test to see how how your stereotypical metalhead would react to it, and whether you could actually yeah convince them to tap their foot or to sing out <laughs> sing out at a show or something like that. It'd be a it'd be a fun experiment to to see see what happens. So now, Brian, if this if in the in the coming years, if you see us releasing a cover like that, you know where it's come from. It's come from you. <laughs> I'll be uh, I'll be looking forward to Undercovers Volume Two. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, oh man, we um we better talk briefly about some concerts since it's concerts that made us. The yeah. um the best concert that you have played with the guys since you joined. What would it have been? Oh, um. Yeah, good question. I, I mean, there's. I, I'll try not to overthink this because when I think the best, best links into a whole range of different things. Best could mm. be, for me, um, you know, one of the the tightest shows we played, like where it felt really sort of confident and and everything's just locked into place. And and one of those shows would have been, um, we played in uh, in Tokyo. Um, it was like the last night of a, a run of shows where we played through uh, Southeast Asia. We played in Malaysia and Singapore. Um, and then went and did a run of shows through through Japan. And um, this was the last show of that leg. And we were just a fine oiled machine. And mm. we just, everything just fell into place. We knew what we were doing. We knew every little nuance um, and just everything was just locked in. And that was such a great feeling. And, and to be, and to have that feeling playing in Tokyo of all places was just, was really cool. So when I think of, best as in my own personal performance and how I feel that we played together as a band, that would be one that definitely comes to mind. Um, best is in sort of fun and a little bit ridiculous. Um, we, one of the first shows we ever played in Hobart, which is um, the capital capital city of Tasmania. So right down the arse end of, of Australia and right down the arse right. end of the world. Right. Um, we played in a tiny little pub and it's a very sort of, a very sort of you know English type of pub, you know, sort of dark wood and sort of in in the corner of this pub on on the ground. There's hard, not even really a stage, and these guys down there hardly had any shows. No one ever went down there. It was just either too expensive or they just didn't know what the local sort of scene was like or anything like that. Mm. So we went down there to play, and the enthusiasm from the locals was just ridiculous the pub was packed people were sort of sitting on the bar because there was just no room um people were right up in our face and and people were drinking and it was just it was it was mayhem i would i'd probably put money on it that we played like absolute dog shit like it was horrible <laughs> it was a horrible show right. but it was so much fun because there was just that much energy in the room and these people were just so so happy that this was happening and just the enthusiasm was just insane and and I just remember going, like, while we're playing, going, this is mayhem. Like, this is absolutely, like, this is crazy. Like, this could, it almost feels like that that boiling point of when something bad's going to happen because it's just that chaotic what's yeah. happening in this tiny, tiny room. 
Um, and so that's probably one of my best from a favorite, um, from sort of just a fun aspect of, of a show. But um, but yeah, there's been there's been lots for different reasons, like silly things that have happened on stage, like me stacking it, or people throwing beers onto stay onto the stage, or you know playing in like Germany or or playing in the US and yeah. um and obviously japan things like that but um yeah those two are probably from a performance and from a fun aspect they're probably two that that really sort of pop out and and uh, are really sort of clear and distinct mem- memories for me yeah yeah great answer you kind of covered all bases with the answers um the next one given the last year to near almost two years when was the last gig that you guys played yeah, the last gig that we played was in July of 2019, which is feels like a lifetime ago, yeah. uh, here in Sydney. Um, we finished what was meant to be the first small run of shows for our last studio album, Fallen Idols. Uh, so it was kind of like album launch shows in Australia. So we did a quick run around the country and Sydney was the last show of that first run. And so um, sort of a little bit of a home coming show and it was really good um had a had a great night and great turnout and um yeah and it, with every plans uh, every sort of plan in mind to to go back out and do another leg of uh, of of shows sort of um in the summer uh, our summer down here um and then in 2020 go out and start doing some international stuff as well but um as we all know things things changed yeah. and uh and we're still sort of waiting to see what we do next um you know eventually whenever whenever things start to open back up again so yeah it's been a little while yeah yeah i was thinking it would be all right you don't you obviously have nothing set in stone so to speak as of yet have you no we we've we've ummed and art about playing shows here and there um we've we've got quite a few friends like because in australia with um with what's been happening over the past 18 months to getting closer to to that sort of two year mark is um we've had we've had our lockdowns and then they've opened back up and we've kind of half gone back to normal and so some bands have been able to get out and play a few shows and you get that false sense of security going okay well i can start planning some booking some shows in advance now and yeah. and then then we'd have another lockdown and and at the moment in sydney where um what are we i think we're close to three months in a lockdown it's just it's insane and so oh, we've man. got another two weeks i think before it looks like things are going to start to open back up again hopefully touch wood but um but yeah we we've been offered quite a few shows over the last sort of year or so um you know and people going oh like something in september or something in november or whatever it might be and we sort of you know we've we've hesitated we're like oh should we should we and then we sort of said no you know what like just leave it and we'll just wait um and what yeah. we found is that every offer that we've been given that we've turned down has ended up being postponed or cancelled anyway because of what's been happening so in hindsight it's worked out in our favor but it's been tough it's been tough to sort of consistently turn down offers all the time because f- from our end it's just not worth especially for us because we we even when pre-pandemic we weren't playing a lot anyway we would do our runs of shows yeah then we go off into hibernation and and get on with other things and and start to write and record etc so we weren't constantly on the touring circuit and so for us to get up and running to play shows there's a fair bit that needs to be put into it so we didn't want to sort of go through all that then only to find ourselves without a show so we thought we'll we'll just keep waiting and for us we can luckily still still get things done and still write and record in in isolation so we've been been trying to do that yeah you've been uh you've been using your time wisely so Mm. 
Yeah. Well, hopefully it's uh, it's not going to last for too much longer and you guys can start getting back to some sort of normality, you know? Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Uh, I think... Uh, I think it's all even even for for some of us et- uh, introverts who have enjoyed a little bit of peace and quiet at home mm. and, and not having to do all the social uh, interactions in face to face. I think yeah. even those people are starting to go. Oh come on! <laughs> I want to I want to go out and interact with people. I want to challenge myself again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. The uh, we'll move on to the last couple of questions. So I always I'm always intrigued by the answers I get for these questions. If you could spend 24 hours locked in a room with any musician from history who would it be oh god i I mean that it kind of sounds like no matter how amazing the person is it kind of sounds like a little bit of torture to be honest (laughs) (laughs) like the first few hours are going to be really exciting it's like oh like yeah i love your stuff and oh tell me these stories and after a while you're like Oh God, this person's just doing my head in. I've got to get out of here, you know. Or, they, or they're starting to smell, you know. Oh, they've got to, oh yeah, you know, or whatever it might be. Um, I, I look at the first one that comes to mind, and and uh, people that know me are probably going to know what I'm going to say. But I am a massive, massive John Farnham fan. Um, right. I don't know how popular John Farnham is, uh, sort of where you are and your part of the world, but um, uh, like he's our he's our greatest singer. Um, the M pop artist, I think that's ever come out of out of Australia, and he, he played in the Little River Band for a little while there, and but um, has really sort of forged a, a very successful solo career. He's had a little bit of success internationally, but most of it's sort of been just in Australia. And um, in yeah. my opinion, and it's a very controversial statement depending on who who's listening, but um, I think he's the greatest singer of all time. Right. I think he's he, and that's a big call considering who's out there or yeah. who, who has been out there over the years, but. Um, I think he, the biggest disservice he's ever done is not front a metal band. I think he would have been one of the most amazing metal singers of all time. He's just got an amazing set of pipes. And, um, and yeah, I'm just a, a big fan. And, and all of us in the band have been big John Farnham fans. And we've covered a couple of his songs as well. And, and um, I just think I'm a big fan of, of, of his, him as a musician, as a singer. Um, but, as a as a personality he's such a like he's a larrikin he's a he's he's just this comedic sort of guy he's a very sort of he's a type of person that you'd want to hang out with in a pub and, and have a beer and and have a yeah. have a chat and have a laugh and something like that and um he's always come across like that and i think that's why he's been very successful in australia is because he's had that very sort of down-to-earth personality very personable people love him like people's mm. mothers love him you know that he <laughs> Yeah, he, he sort of transcends generations and and genders and all that. Like everybody just loves loves this guy. So I think I think I could I think I could do twenty four hours with John Farnham. I think even even towards the twentieth hour when things start to get a little bit oh you know, <laughs> a bit too much. Like... <laughs> I, I think he might be lifting my spirits. I think he might be helping me sort of get through the last few hours. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll go with John Farnham. Good answer. Good answer. I had actually heard of him before. He's not that well known over here in Ireland. I had a another Australian guy on in season one and he had seen him or his wife had seen him in concert. So that's how I knew who you were talking about. But uh, I remember looking up a couple of his songs and you're right. He is actually very, very good. It's a wonder he wasn't bigger globally. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot to there's a lot to the John Farm story. It, it's very interesting. I think a lot of it was his own doing, where he just wasn't interested. And he was he, he he loved being at home with his family, and that was that was sort of 
um, where where his preference was, and as a result, he he turned down or missed a lot of a lot of international success. But um, if anybody like listening wants to even just get an idea of what this guy's pipes are like, um, I'm sure it's on YouTube. You can listen to like um, him cover um, Black Dog, hmm. um, or cover um, It's a Long Way to the Top um, by ACDC. Um, there's a couple of live versions um, of the of those songs. Um, just as a, a familiar song that people will already know, yeah. um, listen to him belt those two out, and um, that might be it. May be for some people the start of their John Farnham journey. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Um, if you could see any musician or band from history, then for one night only in concert, who would it be? I thought about this when you mentioned it. Um, right at the beginning of, of the chat before we, we kicked into it. And I was like, oh, God, who, who could it be? <laughs> um, look, oh, funnily enough, I'm, I might not be digging deep enough, but I, the first the first one that came to my mind straight away, so I'm going to go with my, my gut instinct, okay. is, uh, is King Diamond, funnily nice. enough. It's, nice. uh, King Diamond is one of those bands, and obviously you know, King Diamond himself, a musician, um, just one of these iconic 80s heavy metal artists who has definitely you know when you're talking about talk about going from one one polar opposite to another going from john farnham to king diamond geez (laughs) you know you got a polished voice to one of the most you know ear piercing like you know very much an acquired taste vocal yeah um, being king diamond's like shrilling um but there's something about his music which is just i absolutely love it. it's so metal and you know when you listen to some of like the early king diamond stuff abigail and them um conspiracy uh, the eye and all that sort of stuff there's like some of the best like 80s heavy metal guitars in that and mm. metal riffs and and you know uh the albums that mickey d drummed on are just insane like just amazing drumming on those albums and king diamond's just been you know and even merciful fate i mean those two have been bands that i've never never had the opportunity to see and would not be bands that would be likely of coming to australia um i just don't yeah. think they've got the fan base to be able to get away with coming down here and putting on what they put on like especially king diamond with his stage show so for me i'd have to get to somewhere in the northern hemisphere to see king diamond but um i think that's the first one that just came to my mind straight away and i thought okay um that that's probably that'd probably be one where i'd be standing there in the crowd with my like jaw dropped going <laughs> oh my god, I'm he- I'm here. I'm watching the king, like, you know, just shrilling on stage, like making my ears bleed. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the ultimate metal uh, concert experience, all right? Oh, it is. It is like any any stereotype of like you know your parents when you're growing up and they're thinking about heavy metal and. Mm. the satanic stuff and all that stuff king diamond just ticks every stereotype of like the over the top you know theatrics and the aesthetics of what heavy metal is and even the sound just that horrible shrilling of his voice and and just the you know the horror sort of dark aspect in his corpse paint and oh god it's just it's so cheesy but it's it's the best i absolutely love it (laughs) another great answer so the final question if there was a, a a song that could appear on the soundtrack to your life, what would it be? Oh, see, I don't, I don't know if I've got ADHD, but I sometimes feel like I do because right. it depends on you're thinking, where's this going? Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but for me, like, 
oh, like the songs change with the, with the time of the day or the or the direction of the wind for me. Like, and and I also overthink these things because when I think about you know it's these questions that people say, oh, you know, what sort of song would you like to be played at your funeral or mm. or at these iconic moments in your life and whatever it is, and I like it depends on my mood, you know, and, yeah. and it depends on whether I want to overanalyze the lyrics as well. Do I want the lyrics to mean something? Do they want, does that, does it need to be a reflection of who I am? And I, I, um, and I, I'll tell you what, I'll admit, I, I did do a little bit of cheating because I had listened to a couple of your podcast episodes and I, I knew this question as well. <laughs> right. And so, and so I'm like, I, I've got, I'll give you a link um, if you're interested, but I've got like a, a Spotify playlist of like my all-time favorite songs. And every, every time oh, I think wow. of one, I add it on to there if I, if I haven't thought of it already. And um, I was scrolling through that list to see what would be that song um, that would help answer your question. And I couldn't work it out. I mean, for me, like I've got, like I'm looking through it and I've got AOR stuff in there. I've got stuff like Harem Scarum, like the Canadian AOR band. I've mm. got Strange Ways from, I think they were from Scotland, um, Taiketo, um, you know, all this sort of stuff. Then I've got bands like Foreigner and, you know, this sort of adult orientated rock stuff. But then I've got yeah. like Nevermore and I've got, uh, motorhead and i've got destruction and creator and uh, and like just i've got bits of everything in there yeah, yeah so i really don't i really don't know what song to <laughs> to pick or to isolate um i i can say that I'll, I'll you know my spotify playlist might be my soundtrack um to my life um but maybe maybe i might just um as i'm thinking on the fly here i think um, let's let's just go with a with a John Farnham song. So we'll go with um, we'll go with John Farnham Reasons, the song Reasons, and oh, uh, it's not a heavy song, um, but uh, I think that was a song that when especially when I sort of moved to Sydney, I was listening to a lot of John Farnham. <laughs> so funny. Um, but the the song talks about you know decisions that you make and reasons why you do things, and and at the time it struck a chord with me, and I think it sort of maybe maybe that sort of is a repetitive theme in my life where. Um, you know um, the decisions that you make and, and the reasons for it, and so um, so I'll I'll go with that. I have no idea how I pulled that out of my ass then, but I managed to get there. <laughs> I was really trying to dig deep to find a song because there's just so many, and and that's the great thing about music as well is that there's just um there's just so many amazing songs out there, and so many that I still haven't heard yet. Like you know, constantly yeah. discovering new music that's that's you know 10, 20, 30 years old, and I go, oh how how haven't I heard this yet? Um, so, so yeah, so the soundtrack will, will continue to, to expand. Good to know. Good to know. And great, another great answer. I'll, um, I'll include a link to your playlist in the show notes as well for the <laughs> listeners, if you like. Sounds good. Sounds good. They can, uh, go through and get an idea of your, your personal music taste. My eclectic tastes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of the, the interview. I've thoroughly enjoyed it now. It's a, it's been a, a really fun one yeah it, it's been great and uh, as, as we said early in the in the chat when we we're talking about podcasting it's it's still like after after all this time it's still such a thrill to connect with people and and meet people for the first time just having a conversation and you know yeah. the, especially for band interviews as well um you know when you're doing press sometimes you only get an opportunity to talk for 10 10 or 15 minutes and there's only so much that you know really the point of those those interviews is to quickly plug as many things as you can and and sort of move on to the next interview and they're not you don't get to know the people that you're talking to and yeah and um just having an opportunity to talk and and let the conversation sort of go in a few different directions and apologies for waffling but uh you know it's, all. it 
it's a lot of fun and uh, yeah, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank, thank you for having me.
Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this show. If you did, rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps the show grow. You can find us on social media at Concerts That Made Us Podcast. And be sure to check out our website at www.concertsthatmadeus.com. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by signing up at patreon.com forward slash concerts that made us. We've got three tiers available. If that's something you're interested in, you'll get access to a private Discord, exclusive uncut video versions of the podcast, early access to ad-free versions of the episodes, and much, much more. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing there? The show's over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.